Well, now to the bookworms among you, and there'll be plenty of you. Tony Eyre is a proud bibliophile and has taken a lifetime of loving books and wrapped it into a bibliom memoir called The Book Collector. The Dunedin-based writer was also an accountant for 50 years, but his book looks back on his life and connection to various books and authors. He also shares a love of second-hand bookstores, having travelled to nearly all of them in New Zealand and a decent number of them on overseas travels. Tony is chair of the Dunedin Athenaeum Library and is a strong advocate for the city as a UNESCO city of literature. He's in the Dunedin studio. Good morning. Tanakwe. Scots Wahey I might come back with. Right. Given it's a, a city of literature and a very Scottish city as well, of course. Robbie Burns, uh, you don't need to be told that. I doubt anybody does. Right. Um, a Biblia memoir, and I, I saw this, a, a beautiful uh, definition of it by... Um, by Joyce Carol Oates. Uh, it is a thing, isn't it? And I think it's a beautiful word and a, and a beautiful concept, Tony. Yeah, it's a newly uh, coined term. It's an emerging uh, subgenre of the memoir. And it's defined as when a, a writer shares how books have impacted on their life. Um, I first learned about the term Biblia memoir at a book symposium in Dunedin where uh, Jackie McMillan at the Dunedin Public Library um, presented a paper on it. So that's. That's where I, I first heard about it, and and that's what my book is, a Biblia memoir. So, in the hands of a great writer like Joyce Carol Oates, a subspecies of literature combining criticism and biography with the intimate, confessional tone of autobiography. There we go. Where does the story begin for you, Tony? Was it, um, you know, as long as you can remember, that books have been a central force in your life? Well, certainly books in childhood, really. My earliest memory is the Janet and John readers um, we had at school in the 1950s and 60s. And that very first one, um, Here We Go, Janet and John on, had a yellow covered red type, Janet and John on an inflatable uh, horse. Um, and there were a number of those after that. Um, they're very repetitive, you know, Janet would say, um, I went for a walk and... I walked on a walk and what did I see? I saw John and he saw me. So very repetitive. That's, that's the style of, uh, of uh, reading we had in those days, um, perhaps frowned upon today by educationalists, but um, that's where yeah, our nostalgia comes from, those early days of our childhood. It's something so precious uh, and so frustrating. It's not universal as it ought to be, but the lights going on, the, the magic of those squiggles on a page and the lights going on as they take on their meaning, and that meaning is shared with an adult reader first, and then that meaning you work out for yourself. It's an utterly magical experience that should be everybody's, Tony. And and, and what was it for you? Were you a good reader? Did you have um, good reading experiences as a child? Yes, I was a good reader. Um, never had to have any sort of tuition or anything like that uh, uh, in terms of being a bit backward in reading. Um, uh, it's very much part of my subconscious. Books were always there, um, and I read. Uh, as I grew older, um, yeah, books like, uh, well, obviously there were things like the, the comics you read. Um, around seven or eight, you'd get the, um, the End of Blighton's um, Secret Seven and Famous Five books for Christmas, Biggles. Um, there were comics, classics illustrated, where you'd read about uh, you know, the Three Musketeers or Lorna Doon, um, yeah, it was very much accessible reading, um, particularly, I'd say, particularly with comics and that. 
So it was a home full of books, as they say. It often is a loaded meaning, the old home versus books. <laughs> a home uh, full of books. Yes, they were very, actually, they were very much um, full of my father's books, you know, what his interests were. You know, the um, uh, you know, sailing ships, the um, ferries on the Waitamata, the Kauri timber, etc. Um, the Atlas, you know, my parents did the best to provide books they thought would help us in our education. So, you know, the Reader's Digest, great Atlas, was very very much well-read. A uh, set of encyclopedias they bought, um, uh, you know, Reader's Digest were very much part of that. AH and AW Read, um, those were the books that were around at that time, very much in people's homes. There was a famous relative, I understand. Um, I had an aunt, uh, Jane Eyre, um, very well-known name. Um, she was an artist, <clears throat> born in the 1870s and was a student at uh, the Elam School of Arts and tutored there. Um, we had a lovely painting in our house, actually by the Italian artist uh, uh, Nearly, um, portrait of Jane Eyre, which now is in the Auckland Public Art Gallery. So, yeah, art was very much part of our family too. Dad painted himself, amateur artist. He'd sit on the on the carpet with, uh, with his paints and that and egg and temper and he'd use a cloth to wipe out wipe out the work he was working on and he'd wipe it on the carpet much to my mother's consternation Reading could be an escape too was it ever an escape for you? Well certainly it was I say if you think about those comics you know um, the thing about comics you had pictures there um, and that took you into that whole world of, of the classics the classics we, we know so well you know and Charles Dickens etc um a book I got from my father was Tom Brown's School Days um, for Christmas in 1964. So certainly the, the classics like that really took you into a world of, of imagination, um, discovery, surprise. We often angst about boys and reading, and particularly boys uh, as they get up past that sort of compulsory school age in reading. What was your experience at high school? I, mean, I know you went to St Peter's, which was a bastion of rugby uh, and other right. things, but were you encouraged to keep up your reading, and did you? Actually, I'm not too aware of, of being uh, a reader as much. There. I mean, there was a school library there um, we visited, um, but the subjects I took, of course, you know, English, Latin, French... Um, the classics um, was very much part of my schooling there. Um, but, yeah, I can't consciously think of reading being the big thing. Um, I know at the school now they have a, a class with a very large sign on there that something like, you know, um, readers make great, great men or whatever, something along those lines. So reading is very much encouraged there. But yeah, it's not something I feel I uh, remember strongly at secondary school. It's probably more reading at home after school. Just looking at your life, um, and, and forgive the kind of the run through um, the various ages, and, and then I want to sort of focus more on the literature that's really mattered. But as you you know, left school straight into an accounting firm, I think straight from school you write. Uh, later, taking account accountancy uh, courses um, at a tech institute is now that's now AUT. Um, did literature stay with you, um, and was there ever a prospect that you would write yourself or that you would pursue it, or was it the reading of books that's always been the main passion? No, it's always been the reading of books, really. Um, I had no no desire to, to write as such. When I say no desire, of course, at school you, you had essays to do. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean, school, well, you talk about accountancy. 
that was what dominated my life, of course, for many years there in study. And uh, I think it was the second year into it that I felt I had made a wrong decision in, in my choice, having come from that, you know, that English literature background at school. Um, so yes, it was a, it was a struggle to complete that um, that qualification. Um, but life is life, and you married, and kids came, um, and so um, you know you, you you're the you're the provider. Um, over the over the decades, in fact, did it fulfil that role for you, the accountancy? Did it did it fund this passion apart from anything else? Look, I have no uh, regrets in my profession. You know, paid the mortgage, I saved an educated family and that. Um, and although I dropped out at one stage there, I, I worked for Corso, a sort of a um, international aid agency. Um, and that's during that time, um, you know, became more of a left leaning um, organisation. A lot of my reading was around um, um, you know, Latin American liberation the- theology and um, the American social activists like Dorothy Day and Thomas Merton. So that was the type of reading I was doing during that time. Um, and where would you source that literature? It sounds quite specific, obviously, in politicised times, uh, different um, passions and causes come and go and books will be written about them. But where would you source these books that you were reading widely on at the time? Well, uh, obviously Corso um, had a lot of that literature, but I was also involved in the um, Catholic Social Justice Organisations, Justice and Peace, EJD as it's called. So that's, that was really my source of that, of that literature. The move to Dunedin, um, was that a big moment in time too? As we said, it's, uh, every city will have its claim to, to literature and to the arts, but uh, was this a, a, a significant experience moving to the southern city and its reputation as a city of literature, now a UNESCO city of literature in fact? That's right. Well, I met a, a Dunedin woman in Auckland um, and I fell in love with her, um, got married, and uh, I thought we were going for a holiday to, uh, to Dunedin. So we came down, packed up everything, and um, you know, 45, 50 years later, I'm still here. So, um, look, I absolutely love Dunedin. Um, I'd never go back to live in Auckland, although I visit it once or twice a year. Um, Dunedin's a, a lovely place to live. It's small, compact. It's, it's history, it's heritage buildings, and it's literature. Um, so it certainly grew on me over the years, and uh, that's very much my home. I know there were many years in the beautiful Leith Valley as well, uh, so very green part of the city as well. There's this little place in Dunedin then called, its full title, the Dunedin Athenaeum, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Mechanics Institute, the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute. What does this place mean to you? It goes right back. It was actually uh, in 1851 on the foreshore that the first Athenaeum was built, and then um, in 1870, um, uh, a building was constructed in the in the octagon, and we've been there for more than 150 years. So it was a place where, um, well, the word mechanics, it's like those who worked in industry could come along and learn about their trade. It had a reading room. It was founded by the, the city fathers, um, not, not a woman inside, of course. I'm pleased to say today that uh, the committee, apart from myself, is all women. Um, today it's... It's a, it's a private lending library. Um, some would say it's perhaps an anachronism in today, but um, it's full of books of the past. It, we, they buy current books as well. Um, maybe you have to wait for a while uh, for a waiting list at the library. You can come here and, and get them fairly quickly. But it's also a place where 
it's open to lots of groups now, uh, literary groups that use the facility there. It's a, it's a beautiful heritage building. It does need some work. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, I, I remember walking into that library many years ago and I just couldn't believe what I saw. It's just a lovely um, depiction of the past and, and a literary past. A library, another sacred space, of course, of literature, yes. as is a second-hand bookshop, as is a favourite corner in one's house. More on that in a moment. So Athenaeum, uh, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, I'm not sure that I am, a building sacred to the goddess Athena. It serves as a gathering place for the learned. And it's right next to the Regent Theatre, as you mentioned, which, of course, still has its 24-hour book sale, does it? Yes, but not in the Regent itself. Um, just, uh, with COVID, that sort of changed... Um, Look, it's been going for over 40 years. I think I only missed about one or two over the years. Um, I just absolutely love that festival every year. Um, um, and it you know, went over, say, 24 hours. People poured in there right up to all, all hours of the night. Um, yeah, it's, it's a living legend for Dunedin. At what point did you realise you were becoming a bibliophile? Probably in the 1990s, when we lived in the Leith Valley. It was a 1920s bungalow. But attached to the house was this beautiful early settler room. Um, there was an English eye doctor who bought this room from a, a house further up the valley, had it cut off and attached to the house. And it's, <laughs> it's even earlier than Olveston. It's panels, ceilings, um, kauri timber and bookshelves. Of course, it served as a, a bedroom for many years. When the kids left home, it then became, to me, a, a sacred place and and naturally there were books everywhere and I started filing them alphabetically and, thought, and that's when it started really I started to bring this collection together so yeah that's when I said oh, yes I think I'm a bibliophile Yes, how much does one have to love a room to actually cut it off a house and take it with you to the next one mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, this was your, the previous owner of course and so mm-hmm. you, you're letting us in on something else now this isn't just about reading or hunting out or collecting, the ordering of the books became a passion. And can you explain more of the pleasure in that and, and what that experience was? Yeah, a library to me is is a sacred place that you can write and read. And, and of course, you know, the smell of books. You open that room in the morning, you get this hard-to-define smell. Um, so book as object is important to me. Um, books are my friends, they're all around you, and, and you know, if you've had a hard day, you can go into that space, uh, and it can be a calming place. And, um, yeah. What will what make you like? choose one book over another on a given day? <clears throat> Look, sometimes it's the book I just bought yesterday. I thought, well, I've got it here now, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Um, I, I like to, a big chunk of my library is news and literature. Probably, I've, I've got two and a half, three thousand books or so, and a good two thirds is news and literature. Um, I, I chop and change. Um, I read the great writers as well. Um, so, yeah, I just look at the shelves sometimes. Okay, I haven't read her for a while. I'll pull that out and have a read. Um, or I'll pull out short stories. Um, might be an Owen Marshall collection or a Catherine Mansfield. If I go into the lounges, I've got hundreds of New Zealand um, poetry. Um, pull one out. I won't read the whole book. I'll, I'll display it there for a week or so and um, read a few poems to myself or to Yvonne. Um, yeah, it's under the stairs. There's a we have an area of, uh, for our grandchildren when they come down to Dunedin. It's full of children's books too. Um, yeah, I, I like to occasionally be non-fiction. So two hundred, two and a half thousand to three thousand books, two thirds New Zealand literature, the rest the world's great writers. From whence have they all been sourced, Tony? Because this is the other part of the story, isn't it? The the, the sourcing of them. 
That's right. That's where we, that's where we come into the second-hand bookshop. Uh, unfortunately, an endangered species in New Zealand. Um, during the writing of this book and soon after, there are about four shops that have since closed. Um, so, yes, um, certainly in Dunedin, we've been uh, well off the second-hand bookshops over the years. Um, Dead Souls was my favourite one. I was there for 30 years. Unfortunately, a new landlord uh, gave them 30 days' notice to get out and then bulldozed the building. Um, but we have some other wonderful ones there. So, obviously, Dunedin has been a source. But moving up the country, maybe on holiday somewhere, travelling, um, Christchurch, Wellington, I could name a few favourite bookshops, you know, Pegasus and Wellington, Slightly Fox and Omaru, um, or Hard to Find, of course, in Dunedin and in Auckland. So, there, yeah, there's a good perhaps 50 books, uh, second-hand bookshops in New Zealand. So there's plenty of scope for, for, for picking up uh, what, what you may be looking for. You write of uh, contemporaries having to downsize their libraries. And, of course, that can happen when you downsize your house or maybe... At some point, a partner just says, "You know what? I'd like to use that room for something else." <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and and what's you know that that's a whole different mission in itself, isn't it? it having to downsize. I, I had the interview we had recently with a wonderful children's writer. Name will come to me in a moment. And the difficulty of downsizing a house that a generation goes through at some point is that there are memories attached to every single part. Right? This has got to be true of books as well. Have you confronted that moment, or will you, or will you keep the collection whole? I have a chapter in my book called Disposing of Your Library. Um, it was to be the last chapter, but my uh, copy editor said, oh, Tony, you cannot finish on that. It's so sad. So I do have an epilogue where I pick things up about the joy of reading. But um, look, um, and that chapter is really about some of my older friends who are perhaps in their 80s now and uh, uh, through the loss of a spouse or their own health have had to move into rest home. So that pro- process of having to downsize is not an easy one. So... That can be a mixture of giving books or um, special books to to the Hocken Library or a collection or a um, second-hand bookshop or giving them away to friends. Um, I, yeah, I, I've, I've thought about it. Um, I'm, I'm now 70, um, but I hope I've got many years ahead of me and I'll continue to enjoy my library for a good time yet. But, um, yeah, we've got to face that reality. Um, I've got a son, Michael. He's... Uh, He's followed in my footsteps. He's, he now has a love of uh, New Zealand literature and he collects himself. Uh, we, we enjoy competing with each other. So I, I like to think that Michael and my other kids will um, um, pick up a lot of those books when I'm gone. Jennifer Beck, the author of whom I was thinking a moment or two ago. We mentioned, of course, you're a writer yourself. This kicked off with a short story that you wrote, sparked by your wife Yvonne's success in table tennis. What a great start for a story. That's right. Yeah. Well, Yvonne was a, a New Zealand table tennis champion back in oh, 69 and 73, I think. Um, in 74, she, I went to China with the New Zealand table tennis team. And the following year, she was invited back for six weeks of practice. This is during the Cultural Revolution, of course, and what was called ping-pong diplomacy, where there was a thawing out between uh, China and, and the West. And so the New Zealand team was uh, invited there. Um, and in 2010, I saw there was a international writing competition being run by or state-sponsored by the Shanghai Library. So I wrote a piece for that, and um, I think about 160 entries, I got second. So, and basically, that story was about Yvonne's story: um, uh, friendship first, competition second, um, how ping pong diplomacy um, developed into 40-year friendship with her coach from that time. So, um, yes, off to Shanghai we went on that trip. Um, 
in the speech I had to give with an interpreter, I talked about uh, Dunedin writers who were there in Shanghai during the, the 1930s. So we had, of course, Rui Rialli, who was very well known. And then um, um, James Bertram was there. He, um, he interviewed Mao Zedong up in the, the caves of Yanang after the, uh, the Great Escape. Um, and in uh, Mao's uh, papers, it's the uh, interview by the British journalist James Bertram. And there was Robin Hyde, of course. She was there during that time in the 30s. Um, she wrote a, ma- a marvellous novel, uh, Dragon's Rampant, about the, the, you know, the Japanese invasion of China. So, yes, yeah, this beautiful um, bringing together of my writing and Yvonne's uh, um, sporting career. Tony, thank you very much. Tony Eyre. The book is The Book Collector. A biblia, what's it called? A biblio memoir. Uh, it is published by Mary Egan Publishers, Publishing.